Good evening, friends. This is Franz Weinschenk here to welcome you to another edition of Valley Writers Read. Tonight, we know you're going to enjoy an original and provocative story by Benjamin Ray, a writer who, although he lives in Fresno, works over in Coalinga. Can you imagine what it would be like to be a telephone receptionist for a large company or institution? Don't you suppose you'd probably get some really weird calls? Well, that's what Benjamin Ray's story is all about tonight. He entitles it Disconnect. And here is Lee Murray reading Disconnect. Disconnected. 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 The number you have dialed has not been recognized. Disconnected. Miss Ali. Disconnected. No longer in service. Disconnected. Not been recognized. Sorry. I will call again. Call again. Call again. Disconnect. I need to speak to someone in human resources, said the voice on the phone. It was 2.18 in the morning. The voice seemed unaware of the time. Everyone in human resources went home, Carla said. They work from 9 in the morning to 4 in the afternoon. No, somebody's there, the voice corrected her. Okay, Carla thought. Maybe somebody's in there. What can it hurt? She looked at the list on the wall. It was a tree of departments and extensions, listing the phone numbers of most of the major areas of the hospital. She found human resources and hit the transfer button on the phone and then punched in the extension and replaced the receiver. The voice was banished. Carla turned back to the files. They were a massive stack of work yet to be done, perched on a desk and snaking their way into filing cabinets. Each individual file contained a patient's information which needed to be updated. There were still 2,000 that needed to be done. The people who worked during the day weren't going to do it. Neither was the other office clerk who was on the night shift. He disappeared again, as he did every night. It had started a few weeks ago, after he figured out Carla wouldn't let him put his hands on her. The phone rang again, just as Carla reached the file stack, forcing her to turn around and return to the phone. Morton River Hospital, she said in a practiced phone voice upon picking up the receiver. How may I help you? It went to voicemail, said the same voice from before, returned from human resources and sounding annoyed. That probably means there's nobody in the office, Carla said. It's two in the morning and they leave at four in the afternoon. Someone is in there, the voice insisted. There's always someone in there. If there was someone in there, they would have picked up the phone, Carla suggested. You sent me to the wrong office, the voice accused. Send me to the office which has someone in it. No one's here, Carla said. Someone is there. The voice was angry now at Carla's insinuation that the person in human resources didn't exist. They leave someone there to field calls. I don't have any other number for HR, Carla told the voice. The only people I know of that are here right now are the doctors and nurses in the emergency room and the night janitor. Let me talk to them, the voice negotiated. They all know who I'm talking about. Briefly, 
Carla debated telling the voice that the emergency room really didn't do call routing and that it was her job to take the calls after hours, but she also knew that the voice was going to insist, one way or another, that the person in human resources would be known to the medical staff in the ER. Carla hit the transfer button and hit the extension to the emergency room and replaced the receiver. When Carla was halfway between the telephone and the stack of files, the ringing began again. It was going to be that same voice looking for the person in human resources who didn't exist. In fairness, there wasn't really any evidence to say that the person from human resources didn't exist, save for Carla's assumption that everyone had left at the time the business offices closed. Why shouldn't there be someone at work at two in the morning? Morton River Hospital, Carla said, still in her practiced phone voice. How can I help you? They transferred me back to you. The voice sounded a bit dejected. I need to talk to someone in human resources. Now, do you know this person's name? Carla asked. Is it someone who told you that they'd be here late tonight? No, the voice was exasperated now. It's not anything special. There is always someone there. They leave someone there to take calls. I don't know if anyone is there, Carla said. She reflected on the possibility that there might not be anyone on the other end of the phone either. Just because there was a voice, it didn't mean that there was a person to go with it. It was an assumption, like the person in human resources. Like the idea that everyone went home when it was a certain time of day. Like the idea that there was anyone else in the world outside of the room Carla felt very alone in. Let me talk to your supervisor, the now very angry voice demanded. I don't have a supervisor, Carla said. The supervisor for office clerks is only here from nine in the morning until four in the afternoon. I have never even seen her. She's just a name on my email list. Do you think that I'm stupid? The voice snapped. Everyone has a supervisor. Put him on the phone. Carla pushed the hold button on the phone. She thought about the person who wasn't there on the other end of the line and how rude it was of the person who wasn't there in human resources to ignore the call. Carla pushed the talk button. This is Mrs. Washington, she said. Are you the supervisor? The voice asked. I'm the supervisor in charge of office clerks and custodial staff, Carla said, placing Mrs. Washington in charge of one whole department more than her actual supervisor. It was actually nice to have Mrs. Washington around, because now there was a senior person Carla could turn to for guidance. Do you know what that moron I was just talking to told me? The voice demanded. No, what did she do? Carla's Mrs. Washington voice asked. She told me that she didn't have a supervisor, the voice declared, using the same tone a prosecuting attorney might use when presenting a piece of damning evidence, like a bloodied hatchet covered with fingerprints of the accused. I've only just arrived, Carla said. Is there something I can help you with? Well, the voice was hesitant, still choked in his anger, but also placated by the knowledge that Mrs. Washington was now speaking to him. I need to talk to someone in human resources. Adding another task to the already overworked Mrs. Washington's plate, Carla said, At night, I'm in charge of human resources. What can I do for you? I submitted an application a month ago, the voice said. I need to know my hiring status. 
Unfortunately, Carla said, Amy is the only one with access to HR files. If you call back and ask for either me or her after nine, we'll be able to look up that file for you. Don't you have a list or whatever? The voice wheedled. I do, but I'm not allowed access, Carla explained. That's Amy's department. I can't step on her toes. Can't you just check? The voice asked. No, Carla said firmly. In fact, you can count your hiring status as terminated. What? The voice yelped. You can't do that. I can, Mrs. Washington said. If you have a problem with it, you can call and tell the day shift that Megan Washington terminated your application. What is your name? The phone line clicked rapidly as the voice hung up in fear. <sighs> Carla felt exhausted as she hung up the phone. She thought it might have been the strain of creating a whole new person and then also carrying out that person's duties. Carla also wondered if there was anyone named Amy who worked in human resources. Made little difference. Human resources, like all the other departments except the emergency room, only existed as concepts. All departments were just empty rooms and names on an email list. There were times when even the emergency room were nothing more than voices on the phone, no different than the voice which wanted to know its hiring status before Mrs. Washington fired it. The clock on the wall read 2.45. It had taken almost a half hour to deal with the voice trying to reach human resources. There were still 2,000 files that needed to be updated, Carla having done exactly zero in the last 27 minutes. Carla walked over to the massive stack of files and picked up the one on top. It said Hernie McKenna on the outside and Henry McKenna on the inside. On the computer, the file number returned with the name Herney. His last procedure had been a hernia operation. Herney or Henry McKenna with a hernia. Who was he? Which one was he if he wasn't both? He was a file. Carla knew him as a bundle of papers, which was still more tangible than either the voice on the phone or the woman who'd fired it. Nonetheless, he was two people when he should almost certainly have been one. And really... He wasn't even one single person. He was a file. The hospital computers didn't have Google anymore. They used to, until the other office clerk that worked nights had been caught downloading porn. Then the hospital blocked access to the Internet. It didn't stop him from downloading porn. He just used his smart cell phone to do it. Before he'd started vanishing every night, he'd often showed Carla samples of what he was downloading with a big, stupid grin. If Google had still been on the computer, Carla would have used it to find Herney or Henry McKenna. When Carla updated his file, she listed him as H. Herney McKenna to preserve some semblance of his identity. It preserved his integrity as a tangible file of a person. Carla didn't feel like she had the right to take that away. The phone rang again, and Carla did not hurry over to answer it. She walked slowly and picked it up on the fifth ring. Morton River Hospital, Carla said. How can I help you? My husband! He's hurt! My husband! A woman's voice in hysterical, screaming tones. My husband! It's my husband! What about your husband? Carla tried to sound calm, 
but she wasn't very good at it. She was flustered and wished that Mrs. Washington had given her some advice on how to handle situations like this. He's hurt! He's hurt! He's hurt! The voice blubbered. How is he hurt? Carla asked. She knew that this call wasn't for her. No calls were for her. They were just voices without bodies which begged for guidance, and Carla was all they had to turn to. I don't know, the voice howled. I don't know. I really don't know. Well, Carla was flustered by the voice, unable to control the conversation. What do you want from me? Tell me where he is. Tell me where he is. Please tell me where he is. The voice moaned in despair. It seemed to need to say everything three times. I'll transfer you to the ER, Carla said. If he came to us, he'll be there. They sent me to you, the voice sobbed before Carla could push the transfer button. They sent me to you. They sent me to you. So they didn't have him, Carla asked. He isn't there. He isn't there. He isn't there, the tortured voice cried. If he isn't there, he didn't come to this hospital, Carla said. Where was he when he was hurt? If he'd been hurt nearby, he might have been taken by ambulance to any one of three different hospitals. If he'd been airlifted, he could have gone anywhere. I don't know, the voice chanted. I don't know, I don't know. They won't tell me, they won't tell me, they won't tell me. The voice was horrible. It was an echo, like a tortured soul crying out from beyond the grave. Carla felt hairs raise on her arm at the thought, at the unshakable belief that there really was no one on the other end of the line. When was he hurt? Carla tried. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Do you even know if he went to a hospital at all? Carla asked. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. How do you know he's hurt? Carla asked, demanding order from the chaos. He was in a car accident, the voice whipped. He was in an accident, he was in an accident. How do you know? Carla tried to force the answers out. They called me, they called, they called. Who did? Carla snapped, hoping that the answer would be better than nonsense. People, people, people called. You don't know they were people, Carla thought. Her mind grasped for answers. Voices, maybe, but you have no proof they were real people. I'm going to transfer you to the local police, Carla told the voice. Is he there? The voice asked in desperation. Is he there? Is he there? No, he isn't there, Carla said slowly, hoping against hope that maybe this voice could be calmed and make rational sense when they spoke to the police. But... They can probably tell you where the accident happened and maybe what hospital they took people to. Thank you, the voice cried with relief. Thank you, thank you. Carla pushed transfer and realized she didn't have the number to the local police. Instead, she dialed 911 and hung up the receiver. Fingers shaking with anger, Carla picked up the receiver again and dialed the extension to the ER. It rang several times. "'E.R.' said the voice on the other end. "'That's all it said. "'How could you just send me that call?' Carla demanded angrily. Well, "'I couldn't do anything for her,' E.R. voice said indifferently, "'as though it had not just caused Carla a horrifying encounter. "'I couldn't do anything either,' Carla barked. "'There was no reason to send that call to me.' "'And,' the E.R. prompted, "'you take the calls. Better you than me.' Carla slammed the receiver down, hoping to hurt the ear of whoever was on the other side, if there was anyone, and the world was not full of disembodied voices, as Carla's suspicions were leading her to believe. Her husband had a body, Carla thought. She could remember that he had one when she'd married him. 
Ever since she started working nights, though, it seemed less and less like that was the case. She felt like he was there when she got into bed in the morning, but he was gone by the time she got up. An invisible presence that she felt was there, but could never be sure. On the weekends, his body seemed to come back briefly. Maybe it was there only on the weekends. Some of them. Sometimes he disappeared with his friends. Maybe he wasn't there, like the voice on the phone who'd wanted human resources, or the missing car accident victim, or Megan Washington. Maybe he only existed two days for every seven. Carla sank back into the chair and closed her eyes. She felt like sleeping until her shift ended, but if she didn't do any of the files, they wouldn't get done. She'd get nasty emails from a name she knew belonged to her supervisor. The same emails also may have gone to other office clerks as well, but they never seemed to react to them. It wasn't fair that Carla should be the only one to care about what her supervisor thought, when she'd never even met her. She was afraid of the emails with the name of the mysterious, unseen person. I should just say, I'm the only one who ever does this, Carla thought. I'm the only person you've got who's worth a damn. But she couldn't make herself believe it. She knew that the other clerks, unseen to her, had met the mysterious emailing supervisor, and, just by the virtue of that, they meant more to her than she did. To each other, they were people. To her, they were names on an email list, and that's all she was to them. <sighs> 1,999 files left, Carla thought, and made herself get up. She knew if she was just going to go home and come back the next night, there would still have been exactly the same amount. No one else would have done a single one, and there would be emails from strangers waiting on the computer to tell her how lazy she was. Two files were processed, Stephen McKinney and Susan McKinney, no relation. Stephen had high blood pressure. Susan was in perfect health, but was overdue for a routine checkup. She'd called to cancel her last one without the full 24 hours notice. Carla hoped it hadn't been an emergency which made Susan cancel, and that she'd just forgotten until that morning that she was supposed to come in. When the phone started ringing again, the clock read 5.11 a.m. God, that seemed late. Carla ignored it. Enough is enough. There's supposed to be another clerk to help her, and he never did. It kept ringing. On the tenth ring, Carla finally picked it up. Morton Hospital, she said, phone voice abandoned. What, were you asleep? asked the voice of the clerk who was her supposed partner. Where the hell are you? Carla snapped. I'm in the back, he said. Whenever he said that, it meant any part of the hospital except the office he was supposed to be in. Hey, what's the abbreviation for Alaska? What does it matter? Carla exclaimed. What are you doing that you need to know that? I'm looking at the labels on these boxes, he said. A muffled voice said something in the background, and Carla knew that it was the night janitor. He wasn't even a voice on the phone or a name on an email list. He was just someone she'd heard rumors of. It's A.K., Carla sighed. No, that's Arkansas, the other clerk corrected her, and the muffled janitor's voice said something obviously in agreement. It's not A.L., that's Alabama. A.K. is Alaska, Carla said. She knew it was. Her grandfather moved there eight years ago. No, that's Arkansas, the other clerk said, as though the problem was just that she hadn't heard him. And I know that it isn't A.R., because that's Arizona. Carla wanted to yell. 
She wanted to cry, too, but she was too old for that, and she knew it would make the other clerk laugh and repeat it to all the other invisible voices she had never met. I'll ask, Carla said slowly and pushed the hold button. She took deep breaths and pinched herself hard. Carla pushed talk. A.K. is Alaska, she said. No, it isn't, the other clerk insisted. Who'd you ask anyway? Megan Washington, Carla said. Oh, wait. She wants to talk to you. Carla pushed hold again and adjusted her voice until it was Megan Washington's. Alaska is A.K., Arizona is A-Z and not A-R, which is Arkansas, and A-L is Alabama, Carla said brusquely in Mrs. Washington's voice. Where are you? I'm in the back, the clerk said. Who is this? Mrs. Washington, Carla said. I'm the night administrator in charge of human resources, janitorial, and clerical staff. I've been in the office for six hours now, and I haven't seen a hint of you. So where are you? The other clerk garbled, while the voice of the night janitor frantically insisted that he had not revealed that they were together. You know what? I don't care, Carla said. You can go on home right now, and don't you dare put down a workday for today on your timesheet, you understand? You took today off sick. Carla shuffled the receiver as though she were handing it back to herself, and then hung it up. A couple of tears escaped Carla's eyes as she hung up the phone, but she wiped them away and breathed until the feeling passed. At least Mrs. Washington had corrected things for a day. The phone rang, and Carla picked it up. Morton River Hospital, Carla said. How can I help you? Voila, came the voice. And handy a deductor. Some voices spoke no language. Carla had talked to many of these poor voices, with no language to speak with and no bodies to carry them. The language they'd been born with was something which people understood in their native land, but not here. These voices tried to speak English, but their own language overlapped it to create something which was understood nowhere. Not English, not the native language, nothing. This voice was one of those. Who are you calling for? Carla asked. De doctor, the voice said. A doctor? Carla asked. Es multi doctor, the voice seemed to agree. A specific doctor, Carla tried. De doctor, the voice said, sounding irritated that Carla hadn't listened the first time. Can you spell that? Carla winced. Es, em, hop, up, tita, em, pop, the voice spelled. Now that was S. Carla began writing. No, up. The increasingly frustrated voice corrected. F? Carla racked her brain. M? Hip! N? Hip! No, hip! The exasperated voice cried out, Hip! And he no hip! Now, not entirely sure that it's even a letter that was being shouted at her. X? No, hip! Hospital business hours begin at 8, Carla tried, first in English, and then, in a vain hope, she tried Spanish. If you call back in a few hours, they can help you. Deco, the voice said and hung up. Carla hung up, too, and sighed. <sighs> she looked out the windows at the sky lightening from a still not quite visible sun and thought about all those people who had actual people. 
not names in files that they knew better than the people they worked with, or voices on phone lines that had no bodies to carry them, or names on email lists, or mysterious presences in their bed that they may have once belonged to their husband or wife. All she had were phones and computers, equipment to reach anyone with the ability to reach no one. Ignoring the 1,997 files waiting to be updated, Carla sat down at her computer and pulled up official hospital memoranda stationery. On it, she typed, To all personnel. From Megan Washington, Night Shift Administrator. Regarding Necessary Changes. Good morning, all. I have been the administrator in charge of the night shift for some time now, and although I know most of you have not met me, and I have not met you, I feel the need to communicate some much-needed changes. First, I would appreciate any criticism of my employees to come through me and not directly to them. I am the one who sees how they work. I feel it is only fair. I assure you I will extend the same courtesy if I have a criticism about your employees or your department. Second, I would like the routing of outside calls to my office to stop. If there is a call for me or my staff, we will be happy to handle it. Otherwise, being sent to hospital voicemail is fine. Third, I have gotten complaints from the day shift staff that night janitorial has not been performing its duties. I agree with you that my department has been slacking and will take immediate disciplinary steps to remedy this. If the daytime janitorial supervisor would contact me via memo, it would be appreciated. Remember that although we may not see each other, we are all human beings and we may enjoy our time on earth much better if we cooperate rather than bicker. Thank you for your time, Megan Washington. Carla put an electronic signature on the memo and sent it out in official hospital envelopes to every department. She put a label on a mail basket, which read, Megan Washington, and put the basket in the middle of all the other baskets where someone would think it had been all along. Finally, she made an entirely new employee file for Mrs. Washington, backdated two months. Carla left in the morning with a supervisor people knew as a name on a file, on a memo, and on a basket. It was as well as anyone knew anyone. Please check the number and try your call again. Where are we? Disconnected. What the hell is going on? We're sorry. The dust has only Circles in the carpet, sinking, feeling. Rents and nuts keep falling out your mouth. Mid-sweet talk, newspaper workouts. Speak no feeling, no, I don't believe you. You don't care a bit, you don't care a bit.
That was Lee Murray reading Disconnect. Right from the beginning, we get to meet Carla, who's a nighttime phone receptionist. Her job is to answer telephone calls at the Morton River Hospital at all hours of the night. The only other people working at the hospital in those hours are the doctors, nurses, and technicians working on the ER. But yet, as we heard... One after another, she gets some desperate, some wild, and some often very puzzling calls from people whom she can't help because they refuse to believe that the department they're looking for is closed at night or the party that they want to talk to is simply not there. Some call because they fear something has happened to a loved one. One caller's English was so mangled that she could hardly decipher it. So in order to solve the problems caused by these callers, Carla invents Megan Washington, her fictitious supervisor. From that point on, whenever there is a call that she can't answer, she simply says, Wait just a second and I'll have you talk to my supervisor. And believe it or not, Mrs. Washington solved many of the problems that Carla couldn't. Why? Because folks really believed she was the boss. Things went so far that the imaginary Mrs. Washington was even able to give orders to folks in various other departments at the hospital, orders that they actually went ahead and followed. Makes you wonder about reality. As John Lennon used to say, reality leaves a lot to the imagination. Folks, our writer tonight, Benjamin Ray, who did a five-year stint in the Marine Corps, lives in Fresno but works at the Colinga State Hospital. As a student at Fresno City College, he won second place in a short story contest sponsored by the college's literary journal, The Ram's Tale. Thank you for your story tonight, Benjamin. We hope you're working on another one for us for next year. And so we come to the end of another segment of Valley Writers Read. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to listen to tonight's or any other Valley Writers Read story again, just go online at kvpr.org and link up with archived audio. Next week, our writer will be Mary Benton. In the meantime, this is your host, Franz Weinschenk, wishing you and yours a great life story until we meet again. Good night. Valley Writers Read is a production of Valley Public Radio produced by Don Weaver and Franz Weinschenk. Please join us again next Wednesday at 7 p.m. for another edition of Valley Writers Read. <laughs>